Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Good afternoon for those of you in the United States and uh, basically that general central time zone, and good evening to those of you in Europe. Uh, welcome to this edition of V Radio. Um, please visit v-radio.org. Uh, there you can see my archives of other shows like this one, uh, my list, my must-see TV list of free documentaries that you can watch on the Internet. Um, v Radio is still looking for donations for the month of February. Uh, the good news is, is that I've been needing less and less in the way of donations, but uh, you can contribute there by going to the website, clicking Donate, um, you can also buy something from the store, although I don't get that money right away. Um, there's also an Amazon store there where you can pick up a lot of different items. Um, I'm not pushing that too far. If you were planning to get any of those things anyway, if you get them through that uh, widget, then I get a kickback for V-Radio. So <clears throat> all that being said, uh, I think some of you at least might have tuned into last night's show. Uh, we had... Uh, Ben Stewart from Kymatica and Esoteric Agenda, Roger Stahl from Militainment Incorporated, and the new film coming up is called Returning Fire, um, and Peter Joseph of the Zeitgeist Films uh, made a lot of good connections. Uh, Mr. Stewart you know, got to tell Peter that it was his first film that inspired Kymatic and Esoteric Agenda, and uh, Professor Roger Stahl from Militainment uh, you know, hooked up with Peter and will be, uh, I guess, will be in Peter's new, new film about war. So some interesting things happened last night. Um, coming up next month, I will have an interview uh, with Noel Hunter, who was the main, like I guess you could call him the main character from the Zeitgeist films, the listed as hero in the uh, credits. We'll be talking about uh, his experiences in the Zeitgeist franchise. He was also in the end of Zeitgeist Addendum. And uh, we'll be uh, also after that, sometime in April, I have another interview coming up with Dr. Gabor Mate. Um, as you may remember from Z3 is one of the behavioral doctors who talked about uh, more specifically about how children are formed uh, through their environments um, unfortunately Dr. Mate is very busy so I can only get him for a half hour at a time but uh, we'll probably be talking about you know some of his books uh, I was also able to link all of his books it's another little way you can kick back to V Radio is if you see a book or an item that you like uh, that is linked in the show link itself. If you buy it once again through that link, then once again V Radio gets a kickback. So, <clears throat> all of that uh, out of the way, I'm going to bring on my guest. Uh, his name is Tio, and he's originally from Romania. I'll just let him go ahead and introduce himself. Tio, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Okay, hi. I'm Tio. I'm uh, surprisingly enough, I'm a human being like you are, because uh, many people forgot that. And uh, I think the main difference is that I feel uh, handicapped, I can say, because of this system. I'm very limited. I am, uh, look, now I'm struggling to uh, communicate with you because uh, English is not my first, uh, my main language here. And because of that and other reasons, I created ROM. It's a 12-hour documentary about, uh, I try to um, bring people a clue about the world, which is not my clue, it's a... Uh, clue formed by scientific uh, information. That's all. Okay, well, Tio, uh, I ask every guest uh, when they come on, you know, if they're an activist guest, what was the precipice or the moment of change in your life? Uh, essentially, what thing took you out of just being a, 
a normal fellow and into looking outside the box, so to speak? Well, Neil, I guess um, if you are looking for scientific information, if you are just looking to some documentaries like that, um, and put this in, um, in compare this with uh, present reality, with uh, what you are seeing on TV or what is happening around you, I think you will react. I don't think it's a one reason. It's all the environment. Uh, it's not one particular reason for that. So, can you think of any, like perhaps any events or anything along that line? Then that would, I mean, even if it's not one. Well, well religion. I think it's uh, one of the best. I couldn't um, agree with that. I couldn't uh, imagine how people can believe such thing. And uh, with so many information around you, you can still uh, be so, I can tell, primitive, like believing in supernatural beings. And I I think this is the main reason that make me, make me wonder what make, drives people to not, not paying, paying attention to real information and just believing things, I think. Right. It can be. So I guess uh, it, what you're saying is then is that you know you can't think of a specific instance or any. No, the environment. Just the environment in general. Yes, okay. yes, in general. So I guess I mean, were you always kind of somebody who saw the environment as there was something wrong with it, even from childhood, or um, no? Well, I guess I figured it out about religion on when I have. Uh, 12 years, 13 years, I guess. Um, the story was very similar with the story with Santa Claus that back then, I, I remember. And uh, I started to ask a lot of questions about that. And uh, with more I ask, with more I I find out many, many things. People are just not uh, asking about what is happening around them, what money are, what, why I should work so many hours, why why this life? Why? Why everything? So I ask a lot of questions, and surprisingly enough, I find uh, I find uh, uh, a lot of uh, answers in science, which is the best tool we have so far. Well, um, I have to confess that uh, because your documentary is extremely long, I obviously haven't been able to watch all of it yet. Um, and I noticed in the beginning there was kind of a concentration on the scientific issue. So I guess let's just kind of take it part by part. Uh, okay. The first part of Trom, uh, what brought you? What made you decide to include that in the film? Um, I was thinking a lot of uh, how to begin with this documentary, and I think the main thing the you can watch you cannot watch the world if you don't understand you. Uh, how you watch the world? You watch the world through your five senses. You cannot watch the world uh, differently. You cannot have more than five senses. So you watch it from this from this point of view, but it's not enough. Because you need something more like science. So I want for people to realize that this is the only method you can watch the world. You can uh, understand what is happening around you. I mean, if it's not scientific, it's what? Uh, I should. Do. I want to ask that, that question to everybody. If it's not scientific, it's it's what, actually? So. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's actually a really critical point that we brought up uh, during probably the most popular V radio show ever was... Uh, no opinions arrive at decisions using the scientific method. We had yes, yes. Peter Joseph and Doug Millette and Jacques and Roxanne on that rec- that particular episode. Um, 
so anyway, uh, I think that that's an, an issue that sometimes people, even people who don't completely agree with the Venus Project idea, uh, they definitely at least understand that uh, coming to decisions that are critical about uh, how we decide to live and what how we decide to make decisions. That's the other thing that they tend to, they always ask us who makes the decisions. When we tell them no one, they don't understand. But yes. basically what it amounts to is if we need to build a bridge, we don't have a city council meeting and then exchange uninformed opinions. We okay. go out and we use the scientific method to research what the best solution to dealing with that issue was. Um, yes, they are used to put science uh, among art or other things like it's a hobby or something. People are doing that. It's Science is actually reality. It's, it cannot be something else than uh, science. So people forget that. It's very true. It's very true. And it's, it is something that's kind of brought up in school, at least it was here in the United States, this, like this optional thing and, you know, uh, the idea that, you know, the, the funny thing is that they, they teach things like political science as if politics could be a science when the funny thing mm -hmm. is, is when you explore politics, the more you find how irrational it really is and how in most cases, if anything, it's actually an attempt to prevent people from thinking um, you know, all the tactics that go into getting, you know, somebody to approve a candidate, you know, that, that just, just, they're basically totally uh, flawed ideas, so. Um, yes, and they, they see science like something, I don't know, gray, without uh, importance, something like, uh, it's not, let's say, cool to to know about. School do, do that, because in my school, they do that pretty much. Well, yeah, with like you chemistry, know, with biology, with everything. Like yes. the you know being the the jock in the football team, that's something yes, that yes. gets you a lot of attention. But you know, winning the science fair, you'll be lucky if you yes. even get two words about that in the morning announcements. Um, and it's it's unfortunate, it really is. I mean, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed football, but it doesn't mean that that's you know that that should be an a a avenue of achievement. I mean, for the most part, any you know, most of the kids who play football in high school. That's not something that's ever going to mean anything to their life ever again, but yes. you know, achievement in science is something that's permanent and will stay with you no matter what condition your body is in. And, I mean, Jacques proves that at 94 years old. So um, I guess that is one question I probably could ask before we go on further. Um, what I mean, I, what was your position before you watched Zeitgeist Addendum? Um, it's funny because um, I wrote... I know about three years ago uh, on my blog, I wrote something about um, resource-based economy. I was thinking about this, about that before um, knowing about the Venus Project. And I know that I know about the Venus Project before the Zeitgeist Addendum, for instance. Um, I think this project emerged if you know what uh, human beings are, uh, what the, their necessities are. Uh, this will emerge. Um, Jack Fresco said that that he built the system, this system actually, from the human body, because um, or from reality. This project emerged. So, uh, I think uh, people. Um, I don't. I don't have uh, what I seen in uh, Zeitgeist Addendum in the Zeitgeist moving forward was uh, nothing uh, new to me. Bef uh, less than uh, this uh, depth and monetary, this economic part. Uh, the part with the resource-based economy was something that I, I was thinking about it, not in details, it's true, but 
it's pure logic to think about that we have to manage the planet resources for all people, that we are all from the same species, is the most uh, logical step, I said, I can say. That's very true. Now, um, I guess, so you discovered the Venus, how did you discover the Venus Project then? Uh, I watch, I think I watch uh, The Future by Design, first time, and uh, I wasn't uh, quite impressed, to be to be honest. And uh, from here, I deduct that uh, you, it depends what you have uh, in your brain when you're seeing something. Because um, when I rewatch it now, two years ago, I can say that uh, every quote of Jack Fresco should be put uh, forward as the most important thing human beings should know now. So um, I think uh, people from the Zeitgeist movement should... Um, Take this into consideration and uh, uh, understand that you, it's not enough to present the Venus Project to people. People should know more about it to be interested on the right. subject. Because I, I wasn't, I wasn't at the first time. I said, uh, well, it's a cool project. It's a, something uh, cool design, but uh, I never think more than that. Well, you know, the future by design, the, the funny thing that most people don't know is uh, Jack actually doesn't like that film at all. Um, I mean, they, they, it is a good thing to watch, uh, you know, I mean, it, but it, it, I would consider it more like a supplemental thing. I mean, William Gazeki's work on the animations obviously was very beautiful and it helps you conceptualize, but like he only got to spit out the words resource-based economy a single time in the entire film. And even then, it cut away immediately after he said it, like yes. you know, and then went immediately to something else. And I think it was probably because William probably figured that people weren't ready to hear about it. And he did get to talk about his, a lot of his other concepts. The other, the other benefit I found to Future by Design is that, for some reason, at least my daughter really likes it, and she's only five years old. And sometimes she'll say, "Daddy, can I watch Jock Fresco?" You know, <laughs> and what she's talking about is the Future by Design, and you know, she likes watching the animations and. And one day she said to me, Daddy, I like Jock Fresco because he makes houses for everybody. <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, and I'm, I, you know, I've always told people we need to do something more about you know, being able to teach children about this direction. So, um, but in any case, uh, um, so I, I tell people, you know, watch Future by Design as, you know, to kind of help you conceptualize a lot of Jock's work. But overall, it doesn't get enough into the social direction. Uh, it, it worked a lot on Jock's designs, but it didn't really get into the social direction quite enough. Um, and in having all the technology alone is not enough. You've got to have... Of course. You know, it's actually kind of funny, though, uh, how uh, some of Jock's work ends up in, in popular culture. Like in Caprica, uh, the recent TV series that was the, the sequel series to Battlestar Galactica, sadly it's not as popular... Uh, but, you know, at one point, the main character, played by Eric Stoltz, spits out, yeah, we won't see any significant change until you eliminate the profit motive. And I remember him saying that, and I was just kind of sitting there with my mouth open going, wow, did he just say that? And then in one of the uh, the episodes, the pagoda, uh, the, the, the one of the pictures from the Venus Project, is in the background. Like, <laughs> it's just sitting back there. And I, I just sat there and was like, wow, you know, and it, it's pretty clear that these ideas are getting to some people, you know, that, that there are people who are looking at this stuff. So um, I heard supposedly uh, Cindy Sheehan, who's uh, a well-known, uh, she, ran, she runs for Congress against Nancy Pelosi on a regular basis. To uh, She's a real anti-war activist. Her son died in Iraq, and apparently Cindy Sheehan shared 
Zeitgeist Moving Forward on our Facebook, or so I was told. Um, So, um, in any case, uh, to move on then, go back to your documentary. Um, And just for the sake of the listeners, uh, to check out this documentary, guys, it's TROM, as in um, T-R-O-M, site, S-I-T-E, dot com. Um, and you hosted all of these basically on uh, on YouTube, right? Yes, two ways of streaming from YouTube and from my website. Right. Now, so part one was we went into that. It was kind of just helping people break things down into their five senses and, yes. and talk about you know how everything you know is measurable by these things. These are very tangible points that I think a lot of people don't recognize, and we end up getting very distracted by politics and and irrelevant superstition that we cannot prove with our five senses, or maybe we can in ways that might make us gratified, but they don't necessarily actually help us in any fashion. I mean, I know there were a lot of people who voted for Barack Obama because they were women who found him attractive, or they were, you know, black people who liked the idea of having a black president, and that's not true of all of them, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say that by any means as a profiling issue, but that's an example of you know politics being used to deceive your five senses or appeal to false values, um, and but as opposed to that though, there's there's a lot of rational issues that science deals with that politics can never deal with, and that's why Jock talks about the fact that politicians generally have no qualifications at all in a given field um, that they are empowered to deal with. So now the next, under the this is the first part of course is called knowledge and. Uh, the the second little segment here is the evolution of everything. Now, what exactly is is what? Go ahead and go into this segment. What what would this? Okay, uh, this is. Um, I wanted to give you a clue about how things evolve because this is only a theory, as we know. Uh, if you, I was thinking that if you knew all of this, um, uh, you can eliminate all those superstition things like religion, like um, divinity, or common consciousness, like some people said. And I just wanted to give you a clue, not to remember every step, because I don't think someone can remember all those steps of evolution. It's just a clue to see how everything evolved. Mm-hmm. That's all. And I guess that kind of gives people a, a perspective on how we got to where we are now without all of yes. the the noise that comes out of you know religion and, you know, and assumptions of things of that nature. And then then we move on to environment. Yes, this, I think this is a very important part because uh, I see it in uh, moving forward also. Uh, if you go for um, things for, from this per- perspective that, that um, you are everything, uh, uh, that uh, you are an extrapolation from your environment, I think you have to rethink this Venus project because Venus project deal, deals with uh, the changing of the environment and from those the, the two points of view you can um, deduct that uh, Venus project want to change people and to change people's uh, way of thought or want to I think it's a very important uh, point to um, not to know but to extract meanings from this uh, environment influence that People, um, I've talked to people, to many people on my blog before um, uh, making this documentary, and uh, all uh, are thinking like, well, but uh, uh, there will be violent people, uh, racists, and all kinds of people like that uh, was something natural. So 
if you're uh, knowing this information and environment, it's everything you represent. I think you should rethink every as those aspects of violence or. You still there? Yes, yes, yes. I am. Oh, okay. It sounded like you were mid-sentence. <laughs> okay. No, um, English. Right. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I'm just glad that we were able to. I mean, when you think about all this, I always talk about this. The technology involved. You're over in Spain, and we're able to have this conversation with thousands of people from all over the world. Yeah. Um, uh, technology and you know, our environment is getting bigger, and you're starting to notice the effects of that in in world events. So. So much so, in fact, that countries are getting scared of the impact of the Internet. So, okay. Um, Hello, folks. I'm sorry about that. It's I was talking. Hello. Hello. Do you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. It was on my end. Um, it's ironic. Oh. I was just talking about the marvels of the yes. internet, <laughs> and then my internet burped. Um, <laughs> not much about that, unfortunately. But let, let's get back into this conversation. Um, okay. So anyway, uh, I was talking about you know the marvels of the internet and how we were able to connect and have this show. So we could get back into. I guess now uh, we move on into part two, labeled the present, uh, with monetary system in parentheses. Uh, and the top one says requirements, and uh, we're talking with, about documents. So what's this section about? Well, uh, I noticed that that's a funny thing because I see, for instance, my parents being married and uh, being so um, overwhelmed by, uh, by a piece of paper, by this marriage certificate, and other people. Um, it's amazing how you can be so uh, thrilled or so uh, sad or so... Uh, trapped by those pieces of paper. Uh, from here I started my analyze to see uh, what is really going on and how people are uh, so uh, so trapped by those by imagination actually because this is imagination, nothing more than that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think uh, maybe those documents are important but uh, I think you should know their real value in order to use them, not being trapped by them. You invent something and then you are trapped by your invention and you don't realize that it's an invention and can be modified. So it's interesting that basically I guess you're kind of that, that almost like the free men like people talk about that. I don't know if you know what I'm referring to, but you know how basically okay. these we enter into contracts with people all the time in ways that you know that bind us, um, you know, through the law and you know, like you said, the marriage certificate and and how how much power documents really have when you think about it it's it's the same when it comes to the uh real value yes um yes and more specifically the the issue of uh money i mean when you think about it all the yes. you know money is in of itself just a document you know and how many people ask that mhm mm i don't know they just they they see it and it's 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 funny actually how much it impacts us uh, there was a thinker, his name is Robert Anton Wilson, um, and I don't agree with everything he says, but one of the things that he pointed out was that money becomes, it takes on a psychological impact because your survival instincts essentially equate it to the same things that, you know, early man would have said, oh, look, fertile planting grounds or, you know, or 
things like that, it, you know, that would have a psychological impact on them. And instead, you know, we have these things that he calls bio survival tickets, you know, where essentially, you know, these little pieces of paper are our survival. Um, and then they eventually go on beyond that to mean our power, uh, our ability to affect the world around us, to be able to get what it is that we want, you know, and then we wonder, you know, why uh, people become obsessed with it, even addicted to it, as Dr. Gabor Mate would have pointed out, was that people have an addiction to acquisition, money, you know, things, corporate power, they, you know, nothing is ever enough for them, they always seem to want to acquire more and more, and it's because of the fact that when you see money, you know, there, there's a mental uh, high that you get, essentially, your, you know, your, uh, your brain reacts in a way that is, that is, you know, elated, uh, you know, like they've, they've done brain scans of people when the idea of them getting money would come up and they, and they'd see an impact, and, that that's why it's taken on this issue, and I think it's also why people are a little scared of the idea of a no money society. Is because money means more to them than just a piece of paper. You know, it it, it in fact is essentially survival on a document. Yes, that's why I wanted to talk about environment first, because you can see uh, money have real no value, and people uh, are still trapped with this idea, so they cannot exceed their own environment. That's why. I'm I was right. talking about the environment. No, it's it's a great way to go about this. And um, so then we move on into educational system. Mm, yes, uh, I here I talked about my personal experience because I didn't know how other schools are, but from the email I received, it's uh, very much the same in all countries. How many how many things you retained or how many things you use? Uh, that you learn from school. It's school. It's a really waste of time. It's twelve years, and what you really learn there, almost nothing. A language that is exceeded uh, biology, chemistry, mathematics uh, uh, are labeled as um, something that uh, people, are, uh, kids are scared of. They don't want to learn about those things. Um, school created the first scale of values, so. I don't find anything good at school, and I talked to many people about it. They always said, well, I didn't learn anything from school. I just go there because I should go. I asked my parents, why do you bring me? You'd never ask what school is before you bring me in. And they said, well, everybody did the same thing. We did it. So that's, that was the reason. Yeah, and I think uh, education is a very important part of this that I don't think people really recognize. And I think a lot of it is because of the fact that people don't really have a full understanding of how much, uh, how many of your values you learn in school. Uh, we did a show about this actually. About the, uh, it was a, it was a double double topic show. The first part of it was about how a man lost his home to fire for seventy five dollars, and the second part of it was about homeschooling, um, and the reason the topic came up was because of the fact that, uh, and by the way, you guys can find that show in my archives if you haven't already, uh, but the idea about it was that, you know, I was, I took a picture of my daughter getting on the bus for her very first day of school, and I posted it on my Facebook, this is my personal Facebook, not the, the V Radio one, which, which, by the way, guys, while I'm thinking about this, if I don't accept your friend request to my personal Facebook, the one with you know uh, with Neil Kiernan on the top of it, please don't take it personally. Uh, the reason for it is there are some trolls who go around the internet, basically surfing people's Facebooks to grab their personal photos, and you know after they got them, you can't ever get them back. You can't go delete them from your computer. So I have a personal Facebook, uh, and I have the V Radio Facebook, which you can check out 
Um, it's like VTV space V radio. And I also have a V radio Facebook group. It's only got like 380 members in it. And I know there are thousands of people listening to this show. So do me a favor and join that Facebook group. We do a lot of good conversing there. We have, uh, we, we add a lot of great links and, you know, other information there. And, uh, also, my V Radio forums, I'm sorry for the brief tangent, but I set up forums for you guys, and you don't have to be a, a fan of the Zeitgeist movement. You know, In fact, you can be against the Zeitgeist movement if you want and still post on those forums to debate these topics as long as you can avoid personal attack and ad hominem. But back to the main point um, was that you know that this discussion that sparked in my personal Facebook about the topic of schooling uh, you know, one of my friends had said, well, you know, you got to send your kid to public schools or they won't be socially adjusted. And then I sat and thought about how I was socially adjusted in school and the kinds of things that I learned in school. Yes. You know, I learned that your value is entirely dependent on how much your shoes costed. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I learned that, you know, unless you're willing to totally give up your identity and only be friends with the people that the in crowd determines for you and, and you know, not be friends with anybody that, you know, they determined isn't cool. Uh, you know, these are the kinds of social adjustments that I learned in school, and I think they're all terrible, honestly. Um, and I don't think that people recognize that the, the education system is, is really dangerous. Um, uh, so that, that's why I was going to say, I mean, like, if you remember my Stefan Molyneux interview, he he put a lot of emphasis on the idea of, of public schools being the problem because they were government-owned. And I brought up the issue of, so how is this going to get any better if there's private schools? And, you know, because those are profit motive. And, you know, the whole reason for this consumerist um, garbage is because the corporations control the government. Um, like most anarcho-capitalists, he tends to blame everything on government while forgetting that corporations are the reason the governments are the way they are now. And even if we eliminated corporate personhood, rich people would still have way more power over everything than anyone else. But... But yeah, education um, is a very critical point of this, and I've noticed this also in what I don't let my children get exposed to. Like, they don't watch advertising, commercials, things like that. Yes, and in, in fact, what is education, after all? It's exposing uh, children to uh, information. That's all. Uh, information count. Depends on what this information, from where this information is. If it's scientific information, it's the best way you can, you, you just uh, have to expose kids. Uh, Shugata Mitra, I think it's the guy's name, he said um, the education will emerge. People will have, children have uh, interest to learn. If if they have inter interest, they will learn everything in any condition. So yep. uh, it's, uh, education is uh, just exposing kids to information. Yeah, that's that's right. And um, all right, well then, Moving on to work. Um, go ahead with that yes. one. Well, here I actually use most of part of this uh, documentary. I use this clip of uh, I don't know the guy's name, but he's talking about um, human motivation, real human motivation, and he's proving how uh, people are not motivated by money, but by purpose of work, by by, by autonomy and mastery. And uh, I don't really need that clip, but uh, I insected there for people. I don't need that because, look, I did a lot of work uh, and not receiving anything in return. So if people are saying you're not motivated, you're motivated only by money, then explain me how I how I'm doing this, how I work without anything in return. I work on this documentary about one year and nothing in return, no money, anything. So work, it's... Uh, 
this is a sort of a question like I issue I guess because many people interested in the Venus project said, well, what will motivate people in this system? This is I'm sorry, but this is a stupid question. How can I say what will motivate people when you have so many examples on the internet? Look on the internet, how many shows are there? I had a show for two three years in Romania with thousands of uh, hits every every week. And I did that for for nothing. I many people did that. So work uh, depends what you understand by work, because many people understand different things. So work. Uh, I wanted to point out that uh, work it's uh, motivated by its purpose because it's true, scientifically proven, and uh, that any job can be almost any job can be automated. So right. That's yeah. It's a very good point. Um... Well, uh, we move past work, and then you have a section that's got an awful lot of subsections. Uh, ideas, situations, co-created, and perpetuated. Uh, the first one was profit. Mm, yes, I hear I, uh, I let uh, Jack Fresco and Roxanne Meadows to explain better what this is all about. And many people realize that uh, profit is the main, uh, main reason of corruption. But uh, I think it's a very easy thing to explain. Profit leads directly to to corruption. It's nothing more to say about it. It's not very complex, no. I mean, it pretty much amounts to the idea that any time we set up a circumstance in which somebody can get more out of something than they put into it, inevitably there will be an imbalance. And of people course. will seek that imbalance, and they will seek that imbalance beyond, with, you know, as the, I mean, especially since one of the funniest things about this is that corporations, by law, must increase their profit margins at all times. And it, that's just a recipe for it, – it's illegal for corporations to have a soul, essentially. It's, it's illegal for corporations to, to, to be uh, ethical. So, yes. Uh, now we get on to politicians, voting, and democracy. Well, uh, when people uh, are thinking about politicians, do not forget that politicians are human beings too. I know, I know uh, politicians that uh, – uh, were businessmen and then uh, got into a position that uh, can um, decide for many people. So politicians are just businessmen that want profit, want to uh, to have a, a healthy life for them. It's normal. So they, what is the politician's purpose after all? Because if you take, um, if you um, need to come with a decision, this decision should um, emerge from what you have from resources, people, and so on. What is his purpose? Just to say, we do this and we do that. Uh, I don't see the politician's purpose. So. No, me neither. And that's you know that, that we've talked about that a little bit on the earlier part of the show. But it's it pretty much and, amounts to the fact that you do not have to be qualified in anything that you're making decisions in to be a politician. Of course, and democracy. Just think about uh, the normal people who who are voting for that. How how much does those that people know about, uh, I don't know, environment influence on human beings, uh, planet uh, resources, and so on. How many, how many things those people know, norm, normal people that are voting? So how can you put a, a decision in their hands? How can you do that? That's actually a really interesting point, and uh, we brought that up on my personal favorite episode of V Radio ever was on the subject of sheeple where we play a recording of people who are, to, who are sitting outside in the cold waiting to get Sarah Palin to sign their book. And uh, just the, they would ask, you know, just like, do you want Sarah Palin to be president? And they're like, oh, yeah, definitely. 
So what do you think of Sarah Palin's po- foreign policy? And then they'd get quiet because they have no idea. <laughs> of course, this is happening all over the world. It's, yep. uh, yeah, so. it's like her foreign policy. Uh, you know, <laughs> what's your favorite policy of Sarah Palin? Uh, I can't really think of one off the top of my head. And, you know, one of them said, well, I know she opposes cap and trade. And then the guy asks, <laughs> So what is it about cap and trade that you don't like? You know, and then she's like, "Well, I don't really know, but I know it's bad." And you know, <laughs> and I'm not saying I advocate cap and trade, but it, it definitely points to the fact that the average person has no idea what's going on in that. And the other funny thing about it is that uh, there are people who viciously, uh, for example, oppose direct democracy, and they said, "No, it's better for our freedom if we have a republic where we elect." other people to make our decisions for us. That's so much more free and, and, and you know, it's much better, you know, it's so much harder to corrupt that system. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? You know, it's so easy to bribe a Congress of 300 and some people as opposed to trying to convince an entire population that the Patriot Act was a good idea, you know. So anyway, um, moving on to language. Yes, and this is the main issue even right now, if you you see. Um, I don't know how many people ask um, why I should learn this language. I I know Romanian language, but I can uh, communicate with uh, I don't know 22 million people from 7 billion. How can you do that to me? I mean, we have internet right now. I have to struggle to to come with some words that make sense. Uh, how can you do that to me? It's, language is very very old, and how to how to take into account the culture when you uh, learning people a language of communication, knowing that you cannot learn this language after uh, I don't know ten years. You cannot learn this language as you learned it before when you were a child. So this is a complete mockery. I don't know. I I know how people are not uh, mad about that. Uh, I don't understand. No, you're you're very you're very you're definitely telling the truth there. That's why Jock talks about the tyranny of words. Is that even when you know the language. There's so many nuances that go into why somebody thinks a word means something. Yes, yes. You know, and then uh, propaganda can help to charge a word, you know, with a a given negative feeling. You know, I always use the example of communism, but there are plenty of other words that are so charged by propaganda to mean something in a given culture that they may not mean at all, you know. And right now, it's actually, it's a language called Esperanto. People can learn that language. Why... They are not uh, learning that in school, a uh, universal language. And let's say keep the uh, cultural language, to say like that, keep it, but uh, uh, learn, uh, let people learn the same language because this is a mockery. It cannot be, I don't know, I'm really mad about that because it's very hard for me. No. Really, really, it's very hard for me. Well, thankfully enough, you had that very attractive uh, female computer voice to do everything. <laughs> Where can I meet yes. that girl? I'd like to ask her on the stage. She's, <laughs> She's sleeping right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I use that because uh, I was unable to record the voiceover. So many people were mad mad about that because, mm-hmm. uh, well, it sounds not so great. It, what can I do? I'm limited about. Mm-hmm. I'm limited. That's okay though. I actually thought it kind of, you know, it lent an interesting, you know, air to the whole thing. You know. Yes, so. it can be. So we move on to laws. Laws, well, another uh, imagination. If you are think, if you think about that, um, just some invented rules and who invented and what took into account here. What are laws? Laws are something like we cannot deal with problem and uh, we just write a law. And law 
laws the, do not deal with the problem, but just punishes. So, there's nothing constructive here. Yep, I, that's very true. Um, and that's, the funny thing is, I mean, they, they sort of work, but they definitely are not effective overall. And then, then when people break those laws, then your only solution is to lock them up with other people who broke those laws. Yes, and, and hope that they <laughs> learn their lesson and, and come out and go, gee, I don't want to do that again, you know. <laughs> Because the environment of the average prison is certainly going to encourage them to be better people, right? You know, yeah. not to mention the fact that after they get out, they're kind of forced to stay criminals because nobody will hire a criminal, so you of can't course, get a job. Yes. So, um, in any case, uh, we move on to justice. Yes, how can you have a justice here? I mean, you have the same rules for this unequal society. How how can you do that? Um, if you are poor, you have no money. Well, um, I was thinking about that. You see the homeless people, they are sitting on the streets, it's nothing to eat and die there. But other people that have killed someone, they go to jail, they have uh, two, three meals a day, uh, entertainment programs sometimes. So uh, how can you how can you make some those rules from, from uh, so unequal people? It's, it cannot be uh, here uh, a justice system. It's impossible. Think about the environment influence. The environment is not equal for all, so we are not uh, the same from that point of view. So it's, it's not, it cannot be, you cannot construct here a uh, justice system. It's impossible. I cannot see how it can be. It's an interesting point. I had never really thought of that. You know, and but, but the funny thing is, as I remember, actually, uh, one of my mother's ex-boyfriends once explained to me that uh, homeless people uh, up here in the north where we live, it gets very cold. And in many cases, what they'll do is they'll take a brick and they'll they'll bust a, a window like right around uh, November. Which gives... I will, uh, yes, I will do that too if I was, of course. Because <laughs> then it puts them in, you know, then they just wait around for the cops and the cops take them to jail and... They're in jail for 90 days, getting three square meals and, uh, you know, in a warm room, you know, outside of the cold. It's a way to survive the, the winter. It's just to go to jail for 90 days. So now you see how stupid the system is built. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Now, um, consumption and poor quality. Yes, here I use a clip from uh, Zeitgeist Identum, I, I guess. Um this is uh, definitely a society where where you have to consume continuous consumption. You have to consume, consume. Um, is no is no other way. I mean, um, uh, how to explain that? Uh, if you are producing a good quality uh, product, the cycle of consumption will stop immediately and will lead to end of the monetary system. So that's why uh, are built uh, very low quality products for maintaining this cycle it's very easy to understand i mean i will do that too if i if i had a fabric or something to produce to produce uh, for producing uh, goods i will make them break so i can do more of that it's right yeah um and that's that's a really important part of this because people have a tendency to to think that we'll never be able to produce enough for everybody, and they don't recognize that we're already overproducing a bunch of things that are not necessary anyway. You know, and that's a very critical part of the, the equation of how do we calculate what we can, you know, what we can do for everyone. Well, we don't, we don't even need a three quarters of the junk that the consumerist, you know, think, world think about, needs. Yes, think about how many 
uh, similar objects are produced by different companies, and mm-hmm. this is a waste of time of uh, resources. Yep, that's for sure. Now uh, we move on to food and water. Yes. Uh, at the first of the documentary, I uh, asked my set of people to remember two important facts about us. We need the food and the water in order to survive for producing energy to uh, develop. And I think this is the most important thing any society of human beings should put in front: food and water. To have this should be the most uh, important aspects of uh, any organization. In our system, this is not happening. But uh, even so, you they could come with uh, some ideas like uh, we have no water, or in 2025 uh, the water supply will end it, or you can uh, create water from uh, from the atmosphere, get uh, water from a lot of sources. So f- food is also, it's also a problem in the system because it's uh, it's uh, amazingly seems seemed like a commodity. Here. It's like, well, I need food because uh, I just want it. No, I need food because I need it. I cannot survive without it. They are seeing it like, like I want something extra with this food. No. And uh, how can I get it uh, uh, in other ways than uh, inside the system? How can I, uh, I say myself out of the system and say, well, I will grow up my own food and I still need to uh, learn from this system. I need still need to pay someone and, and materials and taxes and so on. I, you cannot survive in the system if you're not playing it. It's almost impossible. It's interesting that we have public waterworks in many cases with a generally decent water bill, you know, but the idea of public food works, you know, whereas in, you know, the community gets together and makes food is such an, an alien concept, but that is starting to change. There are a lot of smaller communities, for example, that put together food cooperatives where everybody kind of works on it and volunteers, and then as a result, everyone gets fresh and, you know, and, and generally organic vegetables. Um, and the funny thing is is that it's such a threat that people are doing this that they're, they're trying to make it illegal. There was an interesting uh, episode of, um, I want to say it was, yeah, I think it was on Liberty Unleashed. It was an episode with a former co-host of mine from back from my libertarian days. And, and uh, they brought on, the, you know, like the, the show was about this uh, incident in California where the cops raided a organic food store, you know, <laughs> and they came in with their guns drawn. I mean, like, there's video of it. You can find it on YouTube. You know, like I'm sure. <laughs> and you're like, they're they're coming in with their guns drawn and they're they're moving their guns around. You know, because these these green thumb hippies might have AK-47s under the counter or something. You know. <laughs> It just—it was so crazy the way they reacted to that, and it was pretty clear that it was an effort to scare them, you know, into not doing what they were doing anymore. It didn't work, of course, but you know, they—they they, they cited some weird loophole in another kind of law that I think has to do with the production of marijuana or something that they needed to show up and go after these guys. I don't remember all the details, but um, health. Health. Yes, this is a very—it's the second most important issue. In uh, regarding human beings, because if you cannot uh, have access to health, then well, your uh, your your existence is put into danger, and it's it's a shame right now. Are so many things discovered? It's, I, the existence is it's absolutely amazing. How many things you could discover, and you can die because you have no papers, but treatment for you exists. It's uh, it's amazing. Even now, with uh, this uh, present technology. I've seen a lot of uh, 
clips about uh, and documentaries about uh, modern technology and doctors uh, are almost eliminated by machinery so it's not uh, it's not uh, something that uh, you know you should treat me and the machines should uh, should uh, treat people and preventing people from having a disease or, or think uh, in this way if it's even important for you to have me healthy, to say like that, because I can, uh, other people can get the disease from me, so I can be a danger from this community. So if uh, all the people are uh, are have access to uh, health system, good health system, it's for the entire community interest. Mm-hmm. Well, um, now that moves us on to peace and freedom. Well, you see, I, I've seen many people uh, running for peace in the world or asking for freedom, but what are those words? You cannot be free. It's impossible to be free. I think to be free means to be just limited by technology, not access to technology, but technology. You cannot be free in the system or peace. What is peace? It's a, a product of conflict, it's something invented. If there will be no conflict, peace will not will not exist. Oh. Right. Two words invented. <laughs> Very sure. You know, it's interesting you pointed out that you know, what do these things mean because people are not aware of the fact that uh, freedom, for example, is much more than just physical freedom. It's freedom of your mind. Of course. Uh, you know, the power of propaganda to enslave one's mind is is so powerful. That's why I'm, I'm actually one of the things, one of the reasons I'm making my own film um, about that uh, phenomenon on the Internet in particular. So... Uh, people are not aware of the fact that in many cases they have no idea what real freedom is. In fact, uh, Ben Stewart uh, from Chematic and Esoteric Agenda, you can listen to my last interview with him and my interview with him by himself, and we talk about this because uh, in his YouTube video where he's talking about how he's starting the Hangman Project, which is kind of a movement that's associated with his films, uh, you know, he talks about how uh, people are not really uh, free. They don't even really understand what it means to be free, and they're conditioned to believe that they need a a state to to keep them, you know, around. Like the whole concept that they might ever actually be free, it never really occurs to them. It's funny that how people gloss over this, like when they 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 venerate the founding fathers, but they tend to forget that the founding fathers owned all kinds of slaves. Like George Washington, first president of this country, you know, had 380 slaves at the time of his death. He inherited ten when he was a child. You know, it's that's why it's it's interesting that so many of these bastions of freedom that we're told about. You know, if you if you were to see these people by current standards, like, you'd believe they were tyrants. You know, and so it's an interesting point. It, it seems for me that people people invented words and now try to find the reason for for those words. Why you can why you need a word like freedom? You can say we can do this or we can do that. Not using a word for everything like consciousness. What is consciousness? It's you cannot find a, a definition. Right, right. All right. Um, wars, weapons, and law, people. Yes, I was always asking myself, myself, what is a weapon? And I, I spent almost one month on my blog, uh, uh, trying to write an article about uh, weapons. See what actually it's a weapon. Anything can be a weapon. Uh, so when people say in the Venus Project will be weapons, well, depends. Uh, anything can be a weapon. Uh, human being should be educated not to use those objects as a weapon, but as something constructive. So 
weapons and what is the meaning of weapons to hurt inside the species because what is um, the other uh, uh, point of that of those weapons I cannot see we defend we are uh, like uh, now 5,000 5, years ago to defend from other animals or to have uh, natural predators or something why do you need weapons because this is an unequal society so and wars what do wars accomplished through time you have to ask this what are they what are they accomplished through time what are the results of wars nothing more than, than um, kill people and in what way I've seen so many shocking clips of uh, uh, behaving so or, or uh, from military and in what state you can uh, what state can achieve if you are uh, uh, um, military um, soldier and this work I want to say that this work has impact not only on other people but on uh, soldiers too and it's a destructive thing I cannot see its uh, its meaning and police do not forget what are those policies they say to you to this to that and uh, you ask themselves why and they point you some laws that uh, they interpreted those laws they are not even correct I've seen a lot of a lot of clips of um, love police for instance <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, well I like what the, those guys did uh, and uh, all police uh, officers are not listening to you are just following some orders and uh, just force you to follow too so well you know and the funny thing is is I I talked to Charlie Veach from the Love Police about that and then he kind of changed his attitude like you noticed that his videos he started uh, going out of his way to humanize the cops that he was dealing with, you know, the police officers, and and pointing out that they too were victims and that they are people, and 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 it's not to say that there is not abuse because there certainly is, but uh, their environment is terrible. I mean, we, you know, they do. I mean, I think that people who, for example, live a normal life, that maybe they get pulled over by a police officer and therefore they get this negative impression of them, but they have no idea that you know of the kinds of people that police officers are protecting us from every day that are, of course, created by environment, but still, you know, these are people who have their, you know, that are up to their neck in the biggest scum that this system spits out all the time, and that's an environment, and, and we're shaped by our environment, you know, I, and it's it's interesting that uh, people tend to forget that, and uh, one of the things that came out during one of the U.S. chapter meetings uh, was that at one of the Zeitgeist Moving Forward uh, showings, a man was there, I guess, with his son, and he was a police officer, and you know that wasn't apparent until afterwards during the Q and A. He he got up and said, and he's like, I want you guys to understand that you know that not all the police, you know, are are sheep. You know, he said that there are a lot of us actually that that see these problems, that know that you know that there's a problem coming, you know, and that's why I tell people that, you know, yeah, there definitely is abuses on the part of the police system, you know, and the military for that matter, but. You know, when the time comes, if there's a fascist situation that starts up, it's going to be the police and the soldiers that are going to be able to save us. You know, especially. Yes. Go ahead. And and don't forget about this experiment done in 1960, I guess, the prison experiment. When uh, you know about that, when yes. they yes, and uh, what the effects of uh, only the police uniform have among people? They become uh, they abuse their power. So if you give them this power that can be abusive, they maybe use it without uh, without knowing, actually. Mm -hmm. It can be overreacting because of that. 
Yeah, that's you know, and it's it's interesting that in many cases they you know because all all you ever see is what you know is generally what happens that police do that is bad. They you know don't you don't generally see people gathering videos of good things that police officers have done and you know and it's like I remember watching this episode of Cops Too Hot for TV and they they show a scene where a, a police officer you know has to go into a home where someone has shot everyone and then shot himself. Like his whole family, including like the three month year old baby in the crib, you know, and then you imagine what kind of environment that is, and what does that do to you because you can't unsee that once you've seen it, you know I mean literally a three month old baby lying in a crib with blood all over the crib because a crazy man shot his three month old baby, you know, and that so you see it's it's environment influence here also. That's right, and that's it's you know the the soldiers who come home have the same problem. That's that's what they're created to deal with. And the funny thing is, all of this is natural reaction. It's essentially evolution, you know. And this is why we talk about the epigenetic effect in Z3 is that your environment can actually change the genetics in your brain. Your brain is designed to modify you in whatever way is is, is deemed necessary for survival. This is why if you work out, you know, with weights or whatever. Your body builds muscle because it thinks, oh, okay, well, we must need this to survive or we wouldn't be doing this so much. And the same thing is true of your brain. Your brain adjusts to whatever your environment is. If you're a soldier and you're seeing people get shot and blown up every day, your brain tries to adjust to that and create you in such a way that you will then be able to survive. And that's why we know that if we make the environment better, that that won't be necessary anymore. Now, on the weapons issue, I've been recently, because of my friendship with Storm Clouds Gathering, he's really big on the after-the-bomb stuff. I went and started studying nuclear weapons again, and I realized, I remembered now why I stopped doing that, because I have nightmares about nuclear warfare. And uh, some of the things that these weapons can do, and I mean, just watching the videos of nuclear testing from, you know, the back in the 50s is terrifying enough. And now we have bombs that would outdo any of those bombs. You know, uh, a, a single... A nuclear warhead that we have nowadays could could do ten times what the bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki did. Crazy world, crazy world. Yeah, and it's it's sad that really? we spend so much time, so much money on that. I I often tell people that you know they ask, well, how do you solve these things? Well, we don't spend a bunch of money on a military industrial complex to build bigger bombs to take other people's resources. We declare war on our need for that resource in the first place. We declare war on it by essentially um, putting all of our resources together for something like the Manhattan Project instead on a geothermal system or on something that could actually help the world. And and that's that's where our approach comes in. So we move on to slavery. Yeah, this is a short topic because um, I don't people realize, but we are all slaves. You cannot, if you are not working for the system, you are getting nothing in return. And from where you, do you get your food? Water shelter. It's uh, it's very simple to understand that we are slaves of this system. It's, you cannot obtain that uh, if you don't have money. And how do you um, have those money by working and uh, following those requirements? It's simple to understand. Yep, that's that's very true. Um, and it's it's also true that there's a lot more slavery in the world than people really realize. You know, the average uh, outsourced individual. Uh, basically is in somebody who's getting a job that used to be done in a country with a bigger economy. They, they have a system for slavery now. They don't have to round you up, you know, just like it said in addendum, 
uh, economic slavery, you know, they still have to take care of feed and clothe and, you know, house themselves. In real slavery, you had to make slave quarters and you had to do all these things to maintain them. You don't have to do any of that now. In economic slavery, we go into a country, we destroy their local economy by undercutting them, by putting them into huge debt, you know, with the national, with the World Bank. Uh, we undercut all of their local farmers, and since agriculture is very common in some of these third world countries, um, you know, then you end up in a situation where uh, you can put all the local farmers out of work by undercutting them, by selling your products for less than the cost of production that nobody can possibly compete with. This is another reason why I think the free market's kind of nonsense, because the free market's not going to stop a rich guy from just destroying all the local business by doing this. And then uh, afterwards, you have a small army of desperate people who are starving to death because you've destroyed their local economy. And you go, hey, I'll open up a factory you know, in your country, and you can work for me for you know, 50 cents an hour. <laughs> or you can starve, of course. <laughs> that, that, well, they always say things like, well, we're doing those people a favor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you can, uh, because I'm from Romania, I see there... Many people are, are literally struggling for eating something. They don't know what they will eat the next day. Or it's slavery so obvious that uh, you have to be really influenced by your environment to not see it. Right, it's very true. Amazing. Yes. And uh, so we move on to advertising. Oh, this is one of my favorites. <laughs> yes. Uh, what is the point of that? I mean, I don't understand. What is the point of advertising? It's a product. Uh, you create a product, and this product has some attributes because this is what creates that product. You have to know those attributes, and you have to decide: yeah, I want that or not. What is the, uh, the purpose of advertising, rather than this evil purpose in this system? Uh, I cannot see the purpose of advertising. So. Well, you know, they, they always tell you, well, how are people going to know about your products? And I'm like, look, man, advertising hasn't been just learning about your products in years. Advertising is a brainwashing industry. You know, as we talked about that in my, my interview with uh, Stefan Molyneux from Freedom on Ra Freedom Main Radio, advertising has gone beyond that. You watch uh, Consuming Kids. Yes. Uh, that's a really good one about this. But it's, you know, they're putting brain, you know, basically brain scans to determine, you know, what sounds, what colors you know, uh, everything for the products now to be able to get in your brain. It's not just about, you know, hey, I've got a, a really good vacuum cleaner and it does this and that. It's I'm going to put the vacuum cleaner in the hands of an extremely buxom lady who looks really attractive, you know, you know and then I'm going to make sure that the, the jingle that we play is, is tuned just right to get to the right parts of the brain that, you know, cause people to decide to buy things. It's it's that it's that scary now. It's 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 something like uh, give me ten dollars uh, and from one dollar I will buy a pencil and from the next the rest of nine I will make uh, advertising for it. That's right. From it, for it, something like that. People get paid to be good at this. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so um, and we come to beauty and design. Yes. Well. Uh, I think it's a craziness now in this normal, so-called normal world. People are running uh, after design rather than uh, utility, and they believe, well, it's uh, this is normality. I mean, you see a Lamborghini and, and you're saying, well, this is, I want that car because it's nice, but how useful it is. They are not thinking like that. They are thinking completely backwards. Everything you bought, bought, even... Um, 
everything you buy, even your uh, clothes, are, you're buying clothes from for what, uh, how they look, and now um, how they com- how comfortable they are. So everything uh, it's. Uh, I think this is the effect of consuming this beauty because you can sell beauty in many more shapes and forms than utility. So it's much easier to to do that. And we have um, those um, fashion critics. Or how can you be something like fashion critics? And or to say to someone that he's not well dressed or he's not looking good. Those are completely insane things. I cannot understand that. I really cannot. I don't know. No, I if can... you, if, Go ahead. If you uh, watch this uh, situation from a scientific point of view, where do you uh, where do you put this information like beauty and design? When do you how to categorize this? It's uh, actually it's funny when you think like that. Well, especially no since beauty is so relative. You know, we we get peppered with what beautiful is as if and the fact that you know even that is in many cases uh you know completely uh, encouraged one of the things from Roger Stahl's film Militainment Incorporated he talks about the fact that we you know we get techno fetishism like oh that that fighter plane is so beautiful or that's such <laughs> a cool looking gun you yes, know yes. <laughs> i mean and that's just in that aspect of it but the same thing is true of like what women we find, you know, men find attractive, you know, what men find attractive in women, um, you know, these these things are are all engineered, and you can tell the difference because, you know, back in the Middle Ages, for example, women who were considerably uh, more meaty, so to speak, or you know, a bit chubbier, were considered to be, you know, the 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 goddess Venus, you know, and yes. nowadays the women that we see that we're told are attractive are these you know, really dainty creatures that, you know, probably could not live outside of, you know, a city for very long. And that's the funny thing about that is that, um, you know, it's it's interesting that in many cases, in order to be supermodels, these women have to do horrible things to their diet, dehydrate themselves before a photo shoot. So what we're being peppered with as being the, the supposedly beautiful woman doesn't even exist. Unless she's yes, emaciated yes. and you know uh, dehydrated, you know, that, so we're basically being taught that unhealthy is healthy. Yes, that's why I put here uh, Richard Feynman among these uh, other uh, fashion designers, or to see how how stupid actually this this industry is, this concept of beauty and design. When that guy explained how you see how you can. How you can say that that color doesn't match this color? Or it's a uh, insanity. Well, yeah, I mean, look at the way fashion works. That's definitely environmental. I mean, there's clothes that was being worn here in the '70s that somebody wouldn't be caught dead wearing now. You know, and it, and you see it, you're just like, man, that's so tacky. How could those people be wearing that? And then you have to ask yourself, well, wait, why do I think that's tacky? You know, and that's that's the reason why when people they they get all scared of the Venus Project, why is everybody wearing the same clothing? Because because fashion is bullshit, folks. It's it's all bullshit. You know, yes. nobody's going to make you wear the same clothes. That was There's no coercion implied. Jock thinks that once you figure out, wait a minute, you mean the reason I like this leather jacket is because I was conditioned to believe it was cool? Well, screw that. You know, I'm not going to wear that anymore. You know, they're, they're basically of the, he's basically of the opinion that once yeah, we get rid of, um, yes, yes. Once we yes, get rid of so. advertising, that that all go away. Yes, this is an unsane 
uh, yes. system. Definitely. Really. Now, really. we move on to talent and creativity. Yes, this is uh, something similar with the sec- the previous one because um, you see you have uh, those contests like uh, Americans Got Talent or other other uh, shows like that. How can you how can you define a talent? I mean, something uh, that you like, I don't like, and uh, how can you define a talent? A level of skill? It's uh, in- it's inventing. It's uh, something invented, and uh, people still have this uh, old concept like. Uh, this guy is born gifted, or uh, from where they get those ideas? I'm, I'm, I'm amazing. I'm amazed by that. So it's not such thing as talent. It's maybe you can call it like that, but it's not something universal. People don't understand that. Well, right. Definitely. Um, talent is also something that is created by environment. You know, in that children have to be raised a certain way to develop certain skills, as Dr. Mate talked about. You know, if you don't like, if you put a child in a dark room after they're born for four years, they'll never develop the ability to see. Um, and the same thing is true of your brain. You know, if you're not if you're not challenged at a certain age, I remember, for example, there was this little girl who lived next door to us. Sadly, the the house that was next door to us was a crack house, so the uh, meaning just a, a house, a drug house. And uh, the little girl who lived there, sometimes we would, you know, my mom would babysit her, and she was like four or five and she didn't even have some of the more basic skills like we we played with a like a little box that had a like a toy ball in it and it was clear that she didn't even fully grasp that things could be stored in things like that had never actually even you know come across to her and that's because her parents were well you know drug addicts who spent all their time strung out you know so the the most basic sesame street level of learning was unknown to her and the funny thing is is that you know what we call talent in many cases is created under very similar circumstances there are, you know it's not to say cuz sometimes there is somewhat of a genetic trait about it cuz certain talents are physical you know but even yes. then uh Bruce Lee for example was actually very physically uh weak when he was a child he was very sickly um and people said well he had a natural athletic talent i'm like no no he he worked on that he he made it for himself um so Anyway, uh, we move on to sense of ownership and social status. Yes, here's another, uh, I will say, document courageousness because um, people uh, have this illusion that they own things. They maybe it's an agreement and maybe it's uh, maybe it's useful. Let's say maybe, but uh, when you do not realize that this is pure imagination, that is something you invented, it's uh, <laughs> well, it's something uh, you should uh, think about it. You cannot own anything. I mean, people, and I don't know how many people ask about that. That uh, this laptop is mine, this car is mine. Well, it cannot be yours. So, in um, I've seen some um, talks about uh, the this the Venus project, and people say, well, and uh, it will not be the sense of uh, this uh, property thing. It's not like that. Here we have the property thing. In the uh, Venus project, will be something normal. Uh, using uh, stuffs, the invention is here in the system, not in the uh, the Venus project. I know if you understand, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the social status—it's uh, another invention of this. Uh, it emerged from this system because uh, a- anyone who is showing off with his diploma, his uh, what he owns, what 
he representing the system. So right, credentialism, uh, or the idea that because I own a Ferrari, I'm therefore more sexually appealing. <laughs> yes, yes. They have those things. They they never think about what makes this Ferrari, how makes me feel uh, be I don't know different. Mm-hmm. It's just a car, and. Uh, it's actually something that I, I look forward to about a resource-based economy is that our relationships with the opposite sex could actually be based on our, our value as people as opposed to, you know, how much money we make or how big our house is or, you know, we go back to, you know, it, it all it's all linked together. The social stratification element is direct linkly to the fashion element, you know, uh, the profit element. You know, you can you know you can tell people, well, you're just a guy living in a trailer. You know, who cares what you think? You know, because after all. Just because somebody lives in a you know in a in a mobile home, that must mean that you know they're completely invalid in anything they might think or do or say. Um, you know that's a very common ad hominem actually is to is to attack somebody based on their monetary success. And the funny thing about that is that I have friends who are far more monetarily successful than I am, and they spend an awful lot of time talking to me on the phone because they're miserable. You know, these people are miserable. You know, they they might be on a higher social status, but the sacrifices you have to make to your identity in order to become socially stratified is that, you know, yes, you get a lot of people, quote unquote, liking you, but by doing so, you're not really you. You're somebody else. It's just like we said about school earlier. In order to be socially stratified in high school, you have to make all kinds of sacrifices to who you are, you know, um, at and it's like it, it's it's ingraining you and preparing you for the idea that it should be right and proper that there should be this small group of people who get to determine for everyone else what they have to do in order to have value. Yes, and what is this race all about? I mean, you bought, you buy this, you buy that, you are struggling to climb this social ladder. But what is the por- what is the reason for that? Where do you go? I mean, stop for a second. They are not thinking like that, you know. Yep. Self-confidence. Well, yes, this is the... Well, uh, every time, every every day I meet people so self-confident on their opinion and when, what they are thinking about. The people that give you advices of anything. They, uh, I think this is the main problem of... Uh, um, going from this system to uh, resource-based economy because people do not give up on their ideas and this is uh, sustained by um, this system, by the voting system. They are they feel powerful, very powerful, and uh, they think their ideas mean something. Well, they are not they do not mean anything if uh, your ideas are not provable. You cannot prove those. So it's interesting to see those people who are here on this giant thing, sphere, call it however you want, in this vast universe. How can you be so sure of anything? How can you be so sure? It's it's amazing how people are sure of what they are thinking about. Yep. The environment influence once again. And and things that they can be confident in that they actually know nothing about, which is why of course. Jock talks about you know uh, opinions being dangerous and people immediately... You know, go. Oh my God! He doesn't want us to have opinions. Like, like he's challenging their identity or their or their whatever. And he's like, No, man, just don't settle for half-assed opinions. Actually, know what you're talking about. That's where confidence but, comes from. But what is an opinion? Think about that. What is an opinion? It's a, uh, it's an I don't know, uh, um, idea of yours uh, emerge from what you have inside your brain. It's uh, actually 
this uh, opinion of, of yours it's uh, an emerging idea from the environment you've been exposed to so your opinion doesn't matter really doesn't matter right you, you know, cannot it, prove it well yeah and, and they're also they're flawed inherently because they're based on whatever information might have been available to you and you can have an opinion about something that is completely flawed i mean that's why jock asks things like you know, if you ask a, an Inuit, meaning an Eskimo, what they want, they're not going to tell you a stainless steel refrigerator because they don't know what a stainless steel refrigerator is. But they can tell you in their opinion, well, I'd like a better canoe or something, you know. And that's proof positive that opinions alone are not enough. Or uh, imagine that you put uh, four people in a in a room, they levitate there. Let's see, seven worlds have this room. And uh, you put there a priest, a scientist, a science uh, man scientific uh, researcher, uh, men from a tribe and a citizen, let's say like that. Anyone should, anyone will, will say something about their situation. The, the religious guy will say, well, it's something divine here. The, uh, the men from the tribe will say something like that too. The scientific man will say, the science guy, I know how, how can I say that? Scientist. Well, scientist, okay, thank you. Will say, well, there's no gravity, and uh, the citizen guy maybe will say, well, this is Cube 4, the movie, but it's not with four walls, but with seven. So you see, everyone has an opinion. This is an opinion, but you should research what is really going on to to have an answer. Because if you're throwing up with your opinion, it's based only on where you the information you have been exposed to. So. Yep, and that's as we were just pointing out, all the different backgrounds determine what you know what kind of opinion you might have, and you know it it can give you some insight, but it certainly not should not be the basis for any kind of policy that anybody's gonna you know uh, expect you to govern anyone else by. You know that's this comes brings us back to the politicians about how they have generally have opinions. You know Ron Paul is a politician who has is trained as an obstetrician. He pulls babies out of women. That doesn't make him qualified to make other decisions. Now, mind you, he's studied other things, don't get me wrong, but, you know, should he, for example, be making decisions on, you know, things that are outside of his, uh, you know, his point of view, outside of his ability to understand? Probably not. You know, that, that's where science yes. comes in. So, yes. now we come to family and love. Yes. Well, this is another, I will say, religion, because um, from this point of uh, not asking I don't know how many people ask about that too. What family is? What is a family? Why all my friends or my all the people I know have this goal to um, have a family, have a children, um, like it's something natural, like something you should done, you should do that. But don't forget, there are many types of family. Even in this culture, you have uh, many parents, uh, with many kids, or two, just two parents. It's something invented. Why do you need that? I mean, maybe you need that in this system, but in a resource-based economy, I, I will see something like uh, all the people are your family because are from the same species. So family is just in something invented. More than that is something uh, um, that monetary system used to sell things for in yep. this system. No, you're right. And that's... Uh... I think that uh, another aspect of this is that people have a tendency to, to to not recognize that the the family is a social construct that was created for survival purposes. And as we see the 
the world changing in such a way that the system is actually alienating us from that because we become dependent on our boss as the new patriarch of our of our personal life or matriarch as the case may be you know we become dependent on you know the the supermarket rather than the village to to take care of us uh you know it's it's something that's breaking down and it's it's really to the benefit of those on top that we continue to become less family oriented you know when you think about it your employer has a lot less control over you if you know if they can't you know if they can fire you well okay fine screw you i guess i'll just go live with my mom for a while until i'm you know able to find another job or something you know they don't want that they want it to be a situation of everybody's completely you know and utterly dependent only on themselves which means that because of the way the system is or you know organized you end up in a circumstance where uh they have every power over you because then your corporation becomes your family you know you can't just step away from that because then you can't take care of yourself it's it really is that the system is trying to take the position that families used to be you know it used to be that you could lean on your family if you were in trouble and that's becoming less and less possible as time goes on yes now religion and conspiracy theories mm, yes well uh, religion is a very interesting topic because it's amazing how many people still believe in such things it's quite amazing uh you see the, there is a problem um you do not uh, it's not enough to expose people to information but make them uh, extract meanings from it for instance we are living on the same planet we are from the same species but we still have nationalities racism and so on so this is the thing with religion too we know for many years that the universe is so big to we evolve we have uh, uh, proof for that but still religion continues so I will ignore the religious people if um, I think this is the most uh, powerful thing you can do just ignore them and uh, some people um, proclaim themse themselves atheists I think it's a very wrong idea because it's like you're mirroring uh, uh, religion it's like you're saying well religion may be true but I'm against something like that I'm not I'm a human being you're a religious guy so is not backwards. I mean, what else you're not if you're an atheist? So religion is just an idea. You have to treat it like that. It's the end. If you can, can convince me that this is true, well, fine. I mean, and uh, conspiracy theories. Well, we have those a lot of the, those days. These days, uh, conspiracy about everything, everything. And I was trapped in those things for a while. For instance, this climate changing. And I was uh, watching documentaries and uh, uh, have an opinion about that. Uh, when uh, on one point I was asking myself, hey, what do you know about climate and what do you know about this? So conspiracy theories is, uh, if you do not have proof for that, why you continue to to believe in such things? For instance, I, we are talking uh, one about religion and about the Bible with some friends. Another friend come out and say, um, well, we say we are saying to him, we are talking about religion. And what's your opinion about the Bible? And she says, oh, great, you bring this to discussion. I have seven possible stories about religion, and he bring out something with aliens and something with. He he developed seven conspiracy theories on the spot, and I was asking myself, oh. If for this subject you can develop so many conspiracy theories, you can do that with anything, any subject. So why I should believe this or why I should believe that? So it's 
uh, conspiracy theory will present the evidence and it will not be a conspiracy theory if you present the theories the evidence it will be the truth that not this is a, a world uh, world but it will be fact about that issue so right that's uh, the religion issue in particular is, is a difficult one because it conditions us to, once again, uh, become dependent on something else for all of our answers, no matter how irrational they are. Um, and it, it is an institution that very jealously guards its power. Uh, we always use the example of Galileo proving that the, you know, the world was not flat, you know, uh, things like that, and, and the kind of, you know, you'd think that mankind would have thanked him for that, but because the the church found that hey, wait a minute, this scientist is getting an awful lot of attention, and that means that people are going to start asking him about other things. We don't want scientists running everything, because then people might know that, you know, us being fat on the money of people that, we, <laughs> that we've uh, duped into believing that they need to give us money to go to heaven, you know, we don't, we don't want them to figure out that that's wrong, you know. Critical thinking was always the enemy of the church. There was actually a funny thing where in a in this, uh, I watch, you know, a lot of stuff about knights and things like that, and there was a Ivanhoe was this TV series based on one of the books. And uh, at one point, this Inquisitor is, uh, you know, who's the the head of the Knights Templar in that story, uh, is trying to get, you know, try, is putting a, a, Jew, a Jewish woman on trial for witchcraft because she was a physician. You know, she, she, knew, she knew medicine. And uh, at one point, you know, the, somebody gives an argument and, you know, the, the Inquisitor literally says, you know, Notice how logic is the is the tool of the devil to destroy faith. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, so the guy tells us that logic itself is sinful, and I was just like, okay, that's terrible. Bye. But, <laughs> but think if you if we we were based on these religious guys, we we are now living in caves because we cannot evolve with that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Everything is put in in the, the God's will or something like that. We cannot right. evolve. So. All right. Um, now this one is an interesting. Uh, this next one is kind of interesting because it's not something we really talk about, obviously. But uh, it, it's always been an interest of mine. But I can't really say that I have enough proof to ever know what's going on with this. But UFOs and extraterrestrial life. Yes, the main thing with that is that people forget from what U stands for. Is for unidentified flying objects. So, uh, I think uh, Neil uh, Tyson, the guy who is in this clip, I, I I didn't want to say something in this because I don't know much about. So that's why I let him talk about UFOs. So mm-hmm. I cannot have an opinion about that because I don't know much. I let him uh, expose his opinion, which is not his opinion; it's scientific research about that so yeah that's you know i've seen enough evidence that i know that there are unidentified flying objects but as you pointed out the unidentified word is very important um and it's so i believe in ufos but we can't prove that it's aliens you know we can prove that there was something up there we don't know what it was um and a, a lot of people put an awful lot of energy into this i mean i know that uh, I've seen enough evidence of UFOs myself, just with my own eyes. Uh, they did they did a report on it once on on live Michigan television in the ages before cable, you know, uh, you know, and 24-hour news channels. You'd get these breaking news uh, reports. I don't know what it's like in your country, but 
And it would generally, you'd get these really wacky reports that you wouldn't even see on mainstream news that would come up like on and really uh, obscure points of the day, like, you know, a Sunday afternoon when most people are at church or, you know, or maybe like uh, really late at night, like at like four in the morning when all they're doing is playing some ancient kung fu theater movie that nobody else is watching. And, and one of these live reports was in the middle of a Sunday and, uh, and uh, they basically had live footage of a UFO over Michigan and they had a state police officer there to verify that, yeah, this is real. This is not a hoax. And then we never saw it again. And, uh, you know, it, it was, they were supposed to follow up on it at, you know, at the 10 o'clock and they never did. Um, so I know there are UFOs and the, the thing that I always find kind of a chuckle is that, you know, it's people come up with all these conspiracy theories about how they're here to rule the world. And I'm like, you know, anything that demonstrated the technology that I saw, you know, they wouldn't be playing around with like planting politicians. They would just crush us. You know, <laughs> they, they wouldn't be messing around. So I'm not convinced that they're here to kill us. You know, I think if that's what they wanted to do, they would just do it. So. And what's the point to invent uh, stories about they are here for that or they are here for this? From where do you know that? I mean, where, from where do you conceive this uh, story? I'm interested about that. Right, yeah. and that's well, that's one of the things you know. People ask Peter about that, and he's always like, "Well, uh, unless they're coming down to help, I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they will do. Yeah, that, that would be great. But uh, uh, mystery and paranormal powers. Yes, I didn't want uh, didn't wanted to bring this into discussion first when I conceived the documentary, but I I was wondering. I was uh, uh, watching um, James Randi. I think maybe you know him. I watch he, a lot of shows uh, with him, and I realized that many people still believe in that in mystery or paranormal powers. I mean, is is something that is uh, not understood? Well, you should check that. Science should check that. But for now, it's nothing. As I know, and James Randi's research uh, have proven, there's no such thing as paranormal powers or mystery. And what is mystery? Something you do not understand. What do you associate that with? Something you understand. It's uh, funny. Why, why is religion and divinity? It's something you do not understand. So. Yeah. Simple. And then the funny thing is that's that's always a chuckle argument for me is that you know they you know they can't prove that God exists, but we can't prove that He doesn't. So therefore, <laughs> you know, and uh, and, and Doug, you can't. Yeah. So therefore, we need you know. Therefore, we we can't prove that they're wrong about their their made up guys. So that that's where the flying spaghetti monster came in. And uh, I remember Doug Doug Millett, for example, said that well, I can't prove that there isn't a teapot floating around Mars. That oh, doesn't sure, mean I that I can. That doesn't mean I can go to NASA and demand that we, can, you know, spend billions of dollars to go investigate the possibility that there's a teapot floating around Mars. You, you know? can't prove that Santa Claus does not exist. How can you prove that he? Do not exist. I mean, how can you? Right, and that's that's the power of inventing things. It's one of the reasons why, for example, when when you're in court and somebody uh, makes an accusation against you, the burden of proof is on them. It's not on you. You know, people could just get you in court all day long making up stuff and then demanding you to prove that it isn't true. <laughs> it is backwards. Yep, it is. So now we move to uh, luck. Yes, uh, luck is a product of this system I was talking about. Then you, they are, you are based on that when you are born here. I mean, if I am born in a, into a poor family, all my life here on this planet will be limited and I will have no 
no uh, equal chances with others. I can actually die if you're born in Africa. I know some um, in poor conditions you can die from um, one year old or maybe uh, soon. So we, uh, you can have luck in, into an um, unequal society, this uh, monetary system luck. I mean, uh, those uh, games that can um, can uh, improve your social status it can be called as being lucky. But if we are, uh, we have all uh, the same uh, access of uh, goods and services and the same comfort, you, you cannot have those games anymore. You cannot use luck as something you can sell. So... Right. That's, you know, and it's interesting, actually, you know, you probably talk about games of luck, and that's another example of the whole bio survival tickets thing, you know, is that people get addicted to gambling, you know, the, the notion that they might win, you know, and they'll they'll sacrifice so much. And the funny thing is, is that these people become so addicted to it that even if they do win, they end up wanting to do it more because they become addicted to the idea that they could, you know. Yes, yes. So... In in any case, uh, we move on to death. Death. Yes, I think this is a, one of the most important subjects you sh- discuss. Everybody should discuss. Uh, we all know you. We are going to die. I mean, uh, from what we know so far, we are going to die. Uh, technology is very advanced, and I uh, actually recently I saw a clip with uh, Neil Tyson uh, saying that. Uh, they will bring to discussion this eternal living because they have the technology right now. But from what we, what our standpoint of view, our situation, we are dying, and I don't know who's realizing that. I I used the in this section a game when you are in a building and you have a bomb attached to your hand. You have two days to to live. What you do in this situation? We will try to. To, to get rid of the bomb, it's, it's normal. Why are you not doing this to, in this real life? Because you are dying. It's All the proofs are there. That why are, are you not reacting on that? I mean, this is the most important issue. If you understand that, all life is uh, different for you. And I know that because I my life was changed when I start to realize that. That I'm dying and... And you should do more about that. I, I presented there a clip with a, a woman that is uh, is dying from breast uh, cancer, something like that. And his life, he, she, her life was changed because of that. He, she sees uh, everything, uh, people as equal, and uh, uh, her priorities were more human than in this uh, society, rather than normal, normal people. And you should discuss that. You should discuss that in schools uh, everywhere. Is the most important issue we deal with, we human beings. I I don't know how people do not realize that. It's, no, I, mean, I agree, and it's it's interesting that uh, our priorities when it comes to stuff like this is so screwed up. It's like, you know, as Peter pointed out in Zeitgeist Addendum, we spend way more money on trying to prevent terrorism than we do to uh, deal with, uh, you know, coronary heart disease, which kills way more people than terrorism does. Yes. Uh, you know the the different things that cause death. We you know it's it's funny that we we think that that's a big deal, but we don't you know we're not inclined to do anything else that you know to save lives. And uh, that's pretty much obvious. It's pretty obvious to me anyway. That's because of you know the money involved. There's too much money to be made in the war on terror, military and industrial about, complex. Yes, and think about that. 
every people on this planet try to stay alive they, because they go on uh, making medical uh, analysis and um, all those stuff. They they take care of themselves. They don't want to die, but they don't think uh, uh, too big on on get rid of this aging problem. They are doing that, but they are not thinking. Uh, just a flash of thinking. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So then we come to limitation. Yes, uh, money limitation. Uh, it's a great clip with uh, Alan Watts that explaining how people are seeing in reverse. Uh, we invented those monies for the resources we have, for trading those resources more efficiently. And now we think this in reverse, when there's no money, it's like it's nothing else. By contrary, you have resources, you have people are motivated by the purpose, purpose of work. Um, and you have no money. How about that? It's like you, you're having no inches when you, when you want to build a home. You have materials, but no inches. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and, and no, go ahead. And because of that, uh, people see impossible to to um, go to a resource-based economy without money because they do not understand what money really are. Well, yeah, and they think that the the free market system is what gives them all these freedom of choices, you know. And it's and it, they tend to forget that the you know this is something actually I regretted later that Doug was trying to bring up during my interview with Stefan Molyneux, but. You know, it's like, what does the free market system do for the, you know, for the people in the third world that are starving? You know, and and the point that was, that Doug was trying to get at was that there's no freedom of choice for those people. You know, yes. it's not like they can just choose to become entrepreneurs and suddenly make money. You know, it's it is an aspect of things that people find difficult. Like when I wrote my "No, I mean it," the economy is failing. Uh, blog and did my brief show about it to explain to people what my financial situation was like when I was asking for donations, you know, was that they don't understand that there really is a bottom that you can reach that you cannot climb out of. And after you're there, you know, if, if and it's that's why I tell people, I'm like, they say that there's no coercion in the market system, but it, that's like saying, well, yeah, I mean, you can just choose to starve. <laughs> No, that's that's not coercion. You you chose to starve. I mean, if you had chosen to be more productive, you you have to find a way to be useful to someone in order to survive. That in of itself is slavery. Of course. Of course. So now we move on to part three, solutions, uh, technology. It's uh, another part called questions in the collapse. Oh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) It's very important because... uh, People, when they are looking on uh, the, the Venus Project, they are contemplating uh, inside their heads on utopia and ask stupid questions. I I, I encounter one on your show because I listen to your show sometimes. Um, one guy is saying, why if I want a bottle of wine, something like that, from Spain, from France, and I'm in Italy, or I don't know. Who will I will who will bring that to me? They are doing a stupid thing. You should compare with the present system, with how these things work in our current system, because the Venus Project is a much better system than the present one. They contemplate uh, utopias and uh, and uh, other things. So you should compare everything in this uh, Venus Project with our current system. It's very very important to understand that. And. Uh, of course, the collapse, um, it seems obvious from this uh, technology evolution. You, s- you have now those 3D printers. I see this link, but uh, it's, 
$1,300, something like that. Everyone can buy it and uh, replicate it. So you can build anything from plastic in some, with some dimensions. This will take off, and uh, I don't see how they will make with a solution from this collapse. Uh, I don't know. It's a technological is a collapse from the technology point of view. And nanotechnology, I presented there how nanotechnology will evolve in that kind of way that uh, everything will cost one dollar. And this is not said by me, but uh, by people who investigate that, who are researching those things. So 3D printers, I think, and uh, nanotechnology will will end up this system. It's I see no solution from that because people will have no purchasing power. It's very simple, and I experience that right now. I mean, I have no nowhere to get higher, and if you don't have this, how can you survive? Even if prices will fall and uh, salaries payments will rise, how do you get this payment? How can you get those money? It's almost impossible. And no, uh, doesn't matter that you have a stable job because if hundreds of thousands of people do not have, it's a big problem here. Right. Um, oh. Now, it's interesting you bring up collapse. Now, in a future episode of uh, V Radio, I'm going to talk about this, but I stumbled across this ironically in a uh, review of Zeitgeist Moving Forward. Well, <laughs> it wasn't really a review of Zeitgeist Moving Forward. The guy didn't even watch the film, but uh, from the atheist experience. But anyway, he put this interesting little thing in here about collapses. And uh, he said, while many resources such as air and sunlight are effectively infinite in supply, other things are very definitely limited. An excellent, though fairly disturbing book on the subject is Collapse by Jared Diamond. Diamond studied a number of cultures which, for one reason or another, did not survive. They experienced massive population crashes in a... Um, in which a large pro, uh, proportion of their citizens died over a short period of time. In most cases, it was because they ran out of something. In fact, if I can sum up, um, I can find, or basically find Diamond's formula for disaster that is common among most civilizations that died by their own hands. One, you have a limited resource. In one case, it was timber, cutting down trees on an island faster that, you know, than they grew back. And in another, it was grazable farmland. Two, Something about your civilization requires you to use a lot of, res of that resource. Three, it starts to run out, but the culture is rigid and resists change. Four, people talk about breaking their dependency on this resource, but don't actually do anything about it. Five, suddenly, much to everyone's surprise, it runs out. And then six, turns out the requirement for that resource is pretty widespread, and many people die. Um, there are a lot of examples of this, like Easter Island, uh, you know, just different examples of cultures that just utterly destroyed themselves because they became so socially dependent on a given resource, and uh, because their culture resisted the change, they were not able to change in time and, and unable to save themselves. So um, just a little commentary on that for a future episode of V Radio. I'm going to be going over that also probably with Mr. Stormcloud's Gathering because he talks about economic collapse as well. So, um, all right, well, now we move on to solutions, part three, uh, technology. <clears throat> yes, so you ha we have so many... Uh, the technology is so advanced that uh, you can produce an abundance of food and uh, and uh, energy because they are essential for you know, building a system like resource-based economy. I run out to this uh, for giving you... Um, clue about what technology is now, is uh, capable now. 
So I presented many alternative energy solutions, many uh, food waste that can be reused. And uh, it's all about the system. It's all about how you use technology because technology exists for is more than capable for creating such a such a society. Right. So, um, and then obviously the resource-based economy. Yes, because the economy. Well, here I actually let uh, Jack Fresco uh, talking more about this. People, I don't know. People, um, uh, I don't know that they understand what a resource-based economy is. It's something you achieve from uh, from um, scientific data i will say something you emerge you say well what do you need do we need food air health um, equal access to goods and services automation and so on this so this project emerges not just fresco's project it's his uh, i will say blueprint for this resource based economy is the most logic thing you can you can uh, imagine i mean you go on a mountain expedition and you you do that you calculate how many how how much food you have how many people are you are making a, creating a resource based economy for that expedition and so goes for other things like moon expeditions or you know, think this you take this into account because these are necessary for your survival and for your evolution well, yeah, we definitely talk a lot about the resource-based economy model, and um, one of the things that scares people is the concept of, you know, anything that's global, and people tend to forget that, you know, as our population grows and as our resources deplete, uh, there are often circumstances in which, you know, uh, something done in one place affects the entire Earth, and at that point, you know, the idea of individual property rights becomes kind of dangerous. For example, here in Michigan, uh, individual property rights allow water companies like Nestle to come in and suck all the water out of our local water tables and then pump it around the world for for profit without yeah. any concern whatsoever for what that's doing to the local ecology. Um, and that's an example of how we need to have a global consensus to understand that uh, there's only so much here on the earth and that eventually – we could reach a point of no return. That's kind of like what I was getting at with that collapse concept that I was just reading the different components of for how societies destroy themselves is because they continue to do something beyond the obvious uh, limitation of their given ecosystem to support it until it destroys them. You know, because the idea of changing and, you know, giving up their their uh, petroleum-guzzling cars, for example, is, is just too much for them. They, they'd rather die. You know, they don't think about it, but that's essentially what they're saying. I'd rather die than give that up. I remember, you know, during the, uh, I think it was Who Killed the Electric Car, there was a guy who's like, yeah, they're telling me I need to, you know, drive green and live like a European. I don't want to do that. I'm like, oh, wow, that was amazingly arrogant, you know. (laughs) Because we have limited time, I want to make sure we get to all of these. Uh, We come on to uh, part four, The Dilemma. Yes. React. Yes, I was try to understand why people are not reacting on this. Uh, if uh, everything is uh, done on paper, scientifically done on paper, and uh, people are motivated by this purpose of work, uh, we have technology and we have a solution, why they are not doing anything about it? And I said, first of all, uh, people do not know about those things. It's lack of information. Do not know that technology is capable. not know what drives people's motivation and so on. The second was the learning mode 
of the human being. I saw this in the Human Ape documentary. We tend to copy uh, exactly the uh, teacher's behavior. So we are like uh, copies of uh, monetary system citizens, I, I will say. Uh, the third was the obedience in front of our um, normality. You know that uh, it's hard for you to change when you're changing uh, uh, yourself. Uh, the people around you should change or they will see you like a freak or like a weird people. So you are you tend to be obedient in front of them, in front of the the normality. And the fourth point I think is the most important one is uh, homeostasis. Homeostasis... Um, what is homeostasis, uh, you may ask? Well, it's something biologically. It uh, refers to the body's ability to psychologically regulate its inner environment to ensure its stability in response to fluctuations in the outside environment and the weather. So you tend to uh, keep your most common uh, situation. doesn't matter that this situation is harmful for you or not. And you can uh, see that with you too, when you accommodate with some, I don't know, you stay in front of the computer all day, you think this is the right way to do things, this is the normal way for you, and you, when you're trying to do sports, for instance, you will see that as being very, very hard, you're not used to that, and uh, another example, for instance, I, if you see sports athletes, after they retire, they they uh, still do sports a little bit. They still run. They still they are used to this uh, effort. So you are uh, not accepting new ideas because you should change yourself and your homeostasis is used with your current system. If you accept the Venus Project, you should change your your environment. You should change yourself. So it's very hard because of homeostasis. It's a normal reaction of the body, but you have to understand it and go over it. I think it's a, people should look at this at the homeostasis to better understand how people react to new ideas and why they are doing that. And uh, in history we have that too. The people, when they try to fly or uh, say the earth was uh, around, they didn't accept new ideas. They, you don't want to change your environment. And it's uh, group homeostasis also. Because when you're changing the other people around you should change for accepting you or they will uh, try to resist your change. They will try to say, well, it's not good you are doing that. It's, uh, so they maintain this change by rules in society, by gifts, by... Uh, you should understand the homeostasis. I recommend you to see the documentary. It's uh, an article I get from a Romanian psychologist. It's very well... Uh, he very well explained very well what uh, homeostasis is. It is a very, very important point in uh, accepting new ideas like the Venus Project. Yep, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and we move on to the Imagine. Yes, here I will. I try to make people imagine how a world will look uh, in this system, to make people accept the system that it's for all. It doesn't matter you're, you believe in something or... This system just want to to improve everyone's life to live better than we live today. So it's a common goal. If even we if we we not share the same, I will say reality. It's just a common goal for human beings. That's what this is all about. Yep. Um, and now let me see. We're getting down to Earth. Here I do not want to. Doesn't want to. Um, 
say anything. I just inserted images from many uh, documentaries to to make people realize what the planet Earth is and how complex it is and and how can you ask a question? What can I do in the Venus project if anything come to me good and services well? You have a great planet, an unbelievable planet. You should explore that because it's amazing. People do not know what on what we are standing on. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Um, well, that was all of the parts, and it's a good thing too because we had down to this. I gotta ask you: This is a twelve-hour documentary, man. How long did this take you to do? <laughs> Almost one year. I started uh, to write a script on uh, and articles on a blog to 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 build it. And afterwards, I for six months I I wrote a script, I translated, I edited, video editing, image editing, and everything. Website, almost one year, something like that. So. Wow, that's a lot of work. Uh, yes. You know, I mean, uh, some of the things I always ask people who do documentaries, I mean, now that you've done 12 hours of work, you know, uh, have you, I mean, is there anything you left out that you'd have liked to put in the movie? <laughs> I left out a lot of materials, believe me. I, I think I will, <laughs> I will build, a, build a website, I think, with uh, all those materials left uh, outside. That would be great. Yeah, Trom, the director's cut. <laughs> Three <laughs> long. <laughs> Thirty hours. <laughs> All the people uh, that heard this said, "Oh, no one, no one will watch this. No one will watch it. Twelve hours, but tens of thousands of people already watch it, and uh, they're working on subtitles already. It's a great thing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. That's great. That's actually really great. You know, it's it's interesting actually. You know, because you use that computer voice, you'd have to wonder. I mean, it. Do they, do they build those computer narrator voices in other languages too, or? Uh, I don't know. I think yes. Maybe even with you know with accents. I mean, I have to say, you know, uh, all the Romanian girls I've ever heard, they have these most beautiful accents. It would be interesting to hear one that was computerized too on top of it. You know, that's that's really da- that would be really dangerous. I think I'd be mesmerized and unable to stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> well. Maybe maybe I will redo the documentary because I have some issues, spelling issues. You have to understand English is not my first language, my main language. And if I did that in Romanian, what success? I mean, not success, but who watch it? I had to do it in uh, in English. So. Yep. Well. Um... And, uh, you know, it's it's good that you know. I mean, I mean, at least you don't have to worry about having to translate it into your native language. You can do that pretty easily, um, and go from there, obviously. So, um, I guess the next question in the last you know minutes that we have, uh, what kind of um, uh, reactions have you gotten? Have you gotten any you know reactions of note, whether positive or negative? All the reactions were actually amazing. No one said, "Oh, it's." good documentary or it's okay it's, all the people said well it's amazing it's uh, unbelievable I want to to, to bring this in a, a larger uh, audience into a larger audience something like uh, um, big screen something like that not big screen but uh, organized things like that uh, some people uh, asked me for permission to to bring this on their local TV and uh, all the reactions were none of the reactions were negative rather than I don't know the narrator voice <laughs> he, 
they say it's annoying or uh, maybe music is too loud sometimes, but I have a, let's say like that, shitty computer to do all these things. I can, for instance, I cannot run the, my documentary on my computer. It cannot run high definition uh, videos, so I have no technology. I did my best. Well, no, you did really good considering. That's, you know, that's another question they always ask is like, you know, what kind of, you know, technology did you use? Uh, I guess Peter Joseph, for example, used a Macintosh and all the video editing that comes along with them. Um, so, you know, and I guess you did just what, you know, your best with what you had. And I think you did a really good job. So, but, um, you know, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I hope that, uh, you know, the, the fans of your documentary, you know, will get an opportunity to check out the one that I'm working on when I'm finally finished with it. Uh, and uh, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Thank uh, you, too. Yeah, thanks for coming on, for sure, Tio. And uh, um, please uh, visit my website, vradio.org, v-radio or v-radio.org. Uh, there you can check out archives of shows like this one, uh, lots of other really great uh, interviews. Even if you're not a fan of the resource-based economy model, I have lots of good shows on there for people you know, from all walks of life who would enjoy all political positions. Um, and uh, in addition, please consider a donation. V Radio is way behind on donations this month. Uh, you can do that by clicking the donate button. Uh, and uh, if any of you help it, you can give me is appreciated. So thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks to you again, Tio, for coming on. My pleasure. All right. Um, people are asking that you come back on later on as a, perhaps a panelist on one of my other shows. I think it would be great. So. Uh, yes. All right, everybody, I'm going to leave you with some words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jacques Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.